Welcome back to Seriously Funny. I'm your host, Mashnor Kabir, and I am science. This week, we're talking about how to research things well or good, how to research things. I I didn't know how to exactly make a coherent sentence out of this one. I'm going to be honest. It's an interesting topic. I think more people need to know about. And so here we are as the messiah of all information to deliver it. And the first thing is actually starting the research. The way that research begins always, whether it's academic, whether it's yours, whether it's me wanting to know about sleep, is with a question. This question or these questions can be extremely broad, like my shoulders, or they can be extremely narrow, like human perception. You could have a big old question like, how does the immune system work, which is really complicated, or maybe how does sleep work, also really complicated. Questions that have, you know, really, really, really complicated answers and years and years of research and theory and even unanswered questions involved in the answer of the questions. Uh, Then there's the simple questions. How does caffeine prevent you from being tired? Caffeine is an adenosine antagonist. It blocks adenosine in your brain. And adenosine is the primary neurotransmitter in making you feel tired. How do clams make pearls? The clam, oyster, or mussel forms a pearl when an irritant of some sort gets into one of these species. The animal responds by secreting fluid to coat the irritant. This happens layer on layer until you get a shiny pearl. This is a little disturbing because that means that pearls are a bunch of layers of clam snot. Nice. Um, (laughs) Now that we are thoroughly disgusted, we can continue on. It's also important to understand why you want to answer this question. Sometimes you don't even want to. It's just an interesting thought in your mind when you're showering, like who came up with the phrase, I'm speechless, what a useless figure of speech. Or maybe you have a question and you really care about it and you want to formulate your entire life around answering the question, why do batteries suck? In which case you are a researcher. Regardless, understanding how deep you want to go into a topic is important, more so when it's something that you're actually interested in, but isn't your field of work or your field of study. So as an electrical engineer, I asked about how sleep works. I then went on to research sleep to a level that only crossed the line of not practical when I got to the brain stuff. But I run a podcast, so that's my excuse. Thank you for being my excuse. Even though most people didn't listen to those episodes, Sag, uh, knowing how much that you care about the question really tells you how far you want to go into the topic and how much time and energy you're going to put into knowing the answer. You want to determine the level of proficiency that you want in the topic. And if you haven't listened to our episode on the levels of proficiency, you should do that. It was pretty good. Anyways, once you know the level of proficiency that you want, or you don't care about the level of proficiency because you just want to know why Sakura Blossoms are pink after watching Hyoka. And man, Hyoka, dude. You know, what a beautiful anime. Some anime are just iconic. Anime that just sticks with you. And Hyoka is really one of those. What a masterpiece. You know, anime like Plastic Memories, you know, You're a Lion April. Uh, anime like that, they're just 
never forgettable because they really just hit you. Uh, regardless, right now is the best time to learn in all of history. We have the most information available to us right now than we ever had in all of human history. The issue is there's also a lot of misinformation or disinformation as well. We'll talk about that more in the third point uh, for you know sorting through that stuff. Uh, for now, we'll start with the basics and then get deeper. The first place that I think most of us should start research is on YouTube. Yes, the great YouTube. Uh, go watch a video from Kurtz Gazat. Uh, so go watch a TED Talk. Go watch a video from Vsauce, SciShow, Crash Course, channels that are you know, not only credible, but they list their sources as well. The reason that we go to YouTube videos first is to learn the words and to get more questions about a topic. Understanding the terminology and the jargon for the thing that you're looking into or looking at uh, is really important for, uh, you know, better finding the information that, you know, you're looking for. Uh, for example, the reason I started researching sleep was that I wanted to know more about how some people sleep later in the night and how some people sleep early in the night. Uh, but I was all I uh, I wasn't able to figure out like I wasn't able to find the research on that on that thing uh, until I found a YouTube video from SciShow that gave me the word for that dynamic in sleep, that morning type or evening type. And, you know, that word is chronotype. And when I figured that word out, I found a plethora of, uh, I found a plethora of research papers that talked about uh, chronotypes and circadian alignment and circadian misalignment. And that's like one of the most important parts of sleep that not many of us are aware of. So, you know, a YouTube video helped me find a bunch of academic sources in order to understand something. Uh, and also, you know, YouTube isn't just full of people that do research themselves or like Google stuff. YouTube is full of experts talking. Listening to experts talk about something or listening to people discuss the topic will help you learn the jargon of the field while also widening the scope of your research. Jargon is like specialized language in a field. Um, and, you know, that'll help you widen the scope of your research. I didn't know sleep was as important as it is uh, or as it was in the areas that it was until I watched, you know, the YouTube videos. I never would have even thought to Google sleep and learning research if not for having watched YouTube videos from Matthew Walker talking about sleep. Those YouTube videos are an incredible starting point, and YouTube is a, a magnificent source and a magnificent, not a source, YouTube is a magnificent beginning point when you're doing research, and I think that using it is fine. Of course, when you're writing a paper for school or something, don't source a YouTube video. I guess we'll talk about that more later, though. But this leads us into the next step for doing research, which is our best friend and also the person that knows the most about us because they stalk you like no tomorrow, Google, of course. Um, <laughs> after you learn the words and you have some answers to some of the questions and you have more questions or you want more elaboration or more clarification, you go to Google. Now, you may be able to supersede this step because, again, the YouTube videos you watch might have sources in the description and then you can just like just skip the Google and go straight to the papers. I myself read my first research papers on sleep after wanting more information on things that Matthew Walker said in his TED Talk. So I just Googled the citations that he had in his slides. 
But Google is your friend, and similar to YouTube, depending on what you're looking into, Wikipedia is also a great source. Not all of us are doing research for the sake of actually publishing an academic paper in the field. We're just trying to learn or get better or uh, get a better understanding of something. And Wikipedia is fine for that mean. And if you're writing a paper for school, Wikipedia cites its sources. So you can read the Wikipedia and go check the source that they list in the wiki. Uh, you can't cite Wikipedia because schools don't like that, but you can cite the citations in Wikipedia. So, you know, that's always good. Uh, honestly, Wikipedia could come before the YouTube. Uh, I think YouTube is just early or easy because I believe that listening and watching something is easier for a lot of people than reading something, sitting down and reading. Uh, but if you like reading more than listening and watching, then Wikipedia is also a great initial stepping stone for researching something to help you get that jargon and to help you get that initial knowledge and to help you you know, uh, find a direction towards where to, where to look on Google. Uh, but yeah, Google is the road by which we further our research. It's how we access the next two sources of information that we're talking about now. And this is where things might get a little bit complicated, in my opinion. It's a lot easier to research scientific topics like biology, neurology, than topics like history or philosophy. Now, it's possible to research everything, of course, but you may be looking at some more articles uh, when you're researching topics that are less experiment-based. With Google, there's two things that we're looking for articles or preferably research papers. Uh, we want to find articles on the topic, but articles usually summarize research or they talk about the research. Uh, use articles from Google to help you understand the research papers that they talk about. But then just like with the YouTube videos, just like with the wiki page, we want to go to the source source. We want to go to the source material, which is the research. So even if you're reading an article, they should be citing the sources that they're talking about, or whenever they make a claim, they should have a citation where we want to go to the citation. And if that citation is a different article, then we're going to continue on until we get to the source document, which should be a research paper. And if it's not a research paper, then you know that the information is garbage, but that's for later. But now we can go ahead and describe how research papers work. And this is going to be a ride, a fun time, and I hope this helps a lot of people, but you know, it's going to be interesting. There's some people that are listening to this that might know how everything works. Hopefully, someone, everyone that listens to this can get some sort of information out of this or some sort of uh, ease of use or something. So we are going to go into that. And the first thing to talk about is that there's generally four types of research papers, experiments or studies, uh, systematic reviews, meta-analyses, and reviews. The way that you find these is in Google is, I kid you not, uh, after you type in the topic that you want to know about, write research. So if I want to know more about the different effects of optimism and pessimism, I'd write in Google optimism versus pessimism research. And I'd look for a link from Nature or NCBI or some sort of scientific journal publisher. And I'll tell you what the names of those publishers are in a second. And so experiments or studies are you know, experiments or studies. These papers follow the same formula, you know, more or less uh, abstract, introduction, methods, results, conclusion, and maybe they'll have discussion after conclusion, or maybe they'll just have results and then a discussion. The conclusion section only happens every now and then. That's the only like part that's kind of up to a, a coin toss. 
But, uh, uh, you know, whether you see discussion or conclusion, it usually depends on the publisher and the authors. And so, you know, these sections might be shuffled around the introduction methods and, you know, all these stuff. Like I know nature puts methods at the bottom, but if you're looking at like NCBI, they're going to be putting methods in the right after introduction. It just depends on where you're reading. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter too much. If you read all the sections, you should be good. Uh, but you know, yeah, these sections might be shuffled depending on the publisher and the publishers that you want to look out for are going to be nature, science. And for science, it's like, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like a, a, Ainsville, or something. It's like, it starts with an E or something. Uh, if you find this, so if you find the site, you'll find the site just, yeah. Um, but the publishers are nature, science, the Lancet, Taylor and Francis, uh, etc. Um, if you, you know, PubMed, NCBI, uh, actually NCBI and PubMed aren't publishers. I take that back. But there's a, a lot more like PLOS. Uh, there's a ton of publishers. Um, but the big ones are going to be Nature Science and The Lancet uh, and Springer. Springer is pretty good too. I like Springer. Uh, you have access to a lot of these publishers uh, and a lot of their papers. If you're in college or if you're a college alumni, you can use your college login information for free access to most of the popular publishers uh, and most of their papers. Uh, but if you're not in college, although some papers are free to access on their sites, you'll probably be going to the NIH or the NCBI, which stands for National Institute of Health and the National Center for Biotechnology Information, respectively. Uh, they will give you a ton of free papers uh, and that's where most of the people will be going to get their information uh, they're not the primary source but they're just kind of moving the paper over so it's still the research paper and you can still like access the uh, original publisher from the ncbi page uh, when you get there just click on the doi uh, DOI stands for digital object identifier. So this will be a citation or a source, like a link uh, in all research papers. All research papers have some sort of digital object identifier or DOI. And this will be like a permanent link that will always take you to the original published paper. And so that's usually uh, what you you want to cite when you're ci citing uh, like in a, in a paper or something for school, if you're writing that. Uh, but yeah, we'll describe uh, the different parts of like, you know, what abstract introduction methods and what they all mean in the second. Um, but the second thing that we talked about was the systematic review. Uh, systematic reviews try to answer a question using the results of many experiments. It'll put a, put a bunch of data and results from relevant papers in order to answer some sort of question. Um, and meta-analyses use statistical models to summarize the results of a certain topic by combining a bunch of relevant studies it's similar to the systematic review, but it's summarizing the research on a topic rather than answering a question. Although meta-analyses might make some sort of conclusion using the data and the results that they uncovered uh, at some point in the paper, both systematic reviews and meta-analyses will have an abstract as well, an introduction, probably a method section, but they might have other sections or headings that are relevant to the study. They might not have a conclusion section. It depends on the authors uh, for the sections that you'll see. Um, reviews uh, you'll will be seen a lot more with subjects that are less scientific, like history or philosophy, or things that don't really have quote experiments and end quote involved. We can't exactly experiment on history; that you know we can't do that right now. Uh, reviews will look at the literature on a certain topic and put it together in some sort of conclusion uh, or some sort of 
conclusion. Yeah, I don't know if there's a if there's a better word. Uh, these may have no sections at all uh, and are the only papers that you may find that doesn't have an abstract. But uh, reviews are going to be for like, you know, those things that we can't exactly do experiments in. Uh, and so uh, like when I was researching the history of vaccines, we can't research history, but you know, nature does have some reviews published where it's just someone writing about uh, like information on the history and that'll be published and peer reviewed and it's good information. But now we can describe what the basic header names mean, like the abstract and stuff. And so the abstract will be in almost every single research paper. The abstract summarizes the methods, the results, and the discussion section. It's just a summary of the entire paper. Uh, and it's like one good paragraph. Abstracts will always be free, even for papers that you don't have full access to. Very rarely will they not be free. Like 99.9999% of the time, the abstract will always be available to you. Uh, and so you will be, you'll always be able to read the abstract. Uh, abstracts are what most people will read to understand a research paper, but usually it's more complicated. That's why you should look through the rest of the paper. Most people, when they say, I read a research paper, they read the abstract. They didn't read the paper. <laughs> but abstracts are really valuable. Uh, it'll tell you what the researchers were looking for and what they found. If you're not trying to truly learn about something, but if you just want to look at reliable information, you're probably just reading the abstract abstract of the research paper, which, you know, something is better than nothing, I guess. Next, the introduction is extremely valuable. The introduction talks about what and usually why the researchers are looking into whatever they're looking into. Oftentimes, the introduction is going to lead you to more papers. One of the reasons I found or I found and read and learned a lot about sleep was because one research paper would make a claim in the introduction and link three sources for that claim. And then those three research papers would make more claims. And then you go from one research papers to 10 research papers really, really quickly. So if I'm reading an introduction, it'll say, it's been long known that sleep is known to increase the blood pressure in, or sleep deprivation has been known to increase blood pressure in people. And then it'll say, and then it'll cite like three uh, three research papers that like prove or like three studies that show um, people that have their blood pressure increased by sleep deprivation. And that's in the introduction. Uh, and so it's really good. The introduction is how you find more information on the topic that you're researching, or it'll make you ask more questions or something of that sort, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Methods. Uh, this describes the methods that were used in the experiment, how they did whatever they're doing, uh, how they measured things, the controls, and how the study was conducted. This part can get really, 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 really complicated, especially in neurological research when they're talking about machines that sound like they came out of an alien sperm bank. If I ever skim a section of a paper, it's this one. But for the methods, uh, there's some parts that I do want to read. I do want to read, like, um, you know, how many participants were there. I want to read... What did the participants do? What were the controls? When they get to like how they measured things, that's where I'm going to, you know, if you're not an expert in the field, you're going to have a harder time understanding what they're saying there. But you like some parts of the method you should be able to understand and it's important to understand. 
but other parts of the method a lot harder to understand for us normies and noobs. Next, results are the raw results of the paper. It gives you the raw numbers without any judgment or narrative on the numbers. It's really just a bland, matter-of-fact stating of what the results were. This section can also be complicated if you're not familiar with the field or field or yeah, if you're not familiar with the field that you're researching or that you're reading the paper on. The discussion section is for those of us that don't understand what all of the numbers mean just by looking at them. Here, the researchers will tell you what the results actually mean, and they'll talk about what the implication of the results are. This section is really, really, really valuable. This is where things make sense for you and me, and you learn what the purpose of the paper is and what the researchers found. The discussion section helps people that aren't like experts in the field to understand the paper. And it'll really, it's like a a more in-depth abstract. Like it really describes what they found and what it means. Um, In the conclusion, uh, it restates what they did, what they found. And they'll usually talk about the limitations of the study, uh, you know, uh, if, if it's a study. It'll talk about the limitations and what they didn't take into account Uh, And, you know, uh, they'll also talk about what researchers should study in the future and what questions were opened up while the authors were conducting the research. This may open up other questions for you and you may look into what the researchers said should be researched and you'll look and you'll likely find that some someone has gone ahead and done the research that the authors proposed um and you know sometimes researchers will fudge numbers sometimes researchers aren't always good faith they really want to twist the thing to prove their hypothesis and you know, we'll talk about that a little more in a second um but usually researchers are really good faith when they're doing research And so when researchers are doing something, they will honestly say, like, this is something that we didn't take into account, but it's something that in the real world would probably matter and it might change the results. So you should make sure that you look at this. And it'll say in the conclusion, uh, researchers in the future should uh, do research on this thing or take this into account. And it's really important to read this conclusion section. It might be in the discussion section. It really depends. But it's important to see this and understand that the study that you're sourcing or citing or looking at, like it has limitations. And it's important to understand those when you talk about them in good faith. And so now that all that that stuff is said, and now you know how to read a research paper, what it means and how to go through the research paper. Uh, Also, when you read a research paper, the hardest part of reading a research paper is that it has a lot of big words that you probably don't know, and a lot of jargon that even though you watch your YouTube videos and you read Wikipedia, that you probably don't know. Google is your friend. Google the words that you don't know. If you see interleukin-6 and you don't know what interleukin-6 is, Google it. If you see C-reactive protein and you don't know what it is, Google it. If you see all of these big old words and you don't know what it is, Google it, okay? There's some pretty crazy words. There's one that's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember it. But, you know, you're going to see big old words. Google it if you don't know it. Again, Google is your friend. Uh, But yeah, now that we know all that, we can talk about credibility and making sure you're not spouting dumb, nonsense garbage. Uh, And wow, 
this actually this this episode is going to go on pretty long so that's going to be fun for me to edit <laughs> firstly we need to understand that science changes you may find a paper published in 2001 is referenced in a paper published in 2019 in which the 2019 paper says the discovery in 20- 2001 was wrong because science is seeking the truth and although we are the most correct now that we've ever been that doesn't mean that we're completely and undeniably correct make sure that when you read papers, you're skeptical, especially when you see the claim of a causal relationship. In research and statistics, we learn very early on correlation is not causation. Just because two lines on a graph have a similar pattern doesn't mean that they cause each other. If the amount of children born in America in May increases at the same rate as ice cream is sold in Denmark in May, that doesn't mean that more ice cream being sold in Denmark is causing more kids to be born in America. They're correlated, sure, but probably not causally related. It takes an immense amount of evidence in order to claim a causal relationship. And this lack of understanding of how much evidence it takes to make a claim is one reason that anti-vaxxing got so big, actually. In 1998, The Lancet published a paper that was extremely scuffed. It was not good. And this is why we need to read the methods and the entire paper rather than just some abstract. But the paper, uh, the methods, the results, all of it, in that paper that was published in 1998, it was all horrible. And at the end of that paper, it was about the MMR vaccine and its connection to uh, autism. They made a false claim at the end of the paper that said that MMR vaccines cause autism. This paper got taken down and the claim was disproved over and over and over again. Good research was done that showed no These vaccines do not cause autism in any way, shape, or form, but the damage was done. This is why people need to understand the gravity of a causal claim. You cannot just claim a causal relationship and just say, yeah, okay, that sounds like it's good. No, that's not how it works. There is a way to deal with this that skepticism and a way to make sure that causal relationship isn't baseless, however. Uh, And it's actually pretty simple for you to do. Find more than one source. Don't read one research paper on a topic and think it's completely true. Go read other papers that are studying more or less the same thing and make sure that the claims are the same. If they're not, first check the date on the papers, see which one is newer. And after that, go read more papers on the same thing on the same topic and see what the general consensus is. There's a chance that it's a contentious topic, in which case, you know, you probably can't really take a scientific side. You're just going to have to say, we don't know the exact uh, working of this one. But, you know, that's not going to happen too often. Generally in science, maybe not history and philosophy, but generally in science, in neurology, biology, we're going to have some sort of consensus. Um, This is also where you need to struggle through the methods section. And you need to think about in the methods, is this a good way of testing this thing? Now that you've read a bunch of research papers, you have some sort of idea about what to look for and how this research should work. Uh, And so you need to struggle through the methods section when you read papers and you need to say, is this a good method or is the methodology of this study good? Do I like it? And do I think it's valid? 
And if not, go read other papers that study the same thing in a different way, in a way that you believe is valid. Um, be a scientist. Make sure that you have more than one source. If you go look at the sleep page I made over the course of my research, very few, if any of the claims, have only one source after it. It'll usually have two to four and sometimes more sources listed after every claim I make. And the introduction of the research papers will usually help you find more similar papers, as we said earlier. Read the introduction, you'll find other papers. More than that, don't pretend like you know everything after you just look at one source. Always look at multiple sources. Make sure that they are the, that they say the same thing. At the end of the day, science evolves. We learn new things all the time. Every study has limitations. Don't sit there on your high horse pretending your one research paper is the end-all be-all on whatever you're talking about. Unless you're writing a paper for school, then you can go ahead and pretend that you're, uh, that for the sake of your school paper, that, you know, this one research paper you saw is like the greatest thing ever, then, you know, just to get the A. Uh, but if you have a smart professor or teacher, they might fail you after being annoyed. So maybe you should chill out and find some more sources. In terms of articles, don't trust websites that look like garbage. Don't trust websites that don't cite their claims. And even if you trust the website, the New York Times, the Washington Post, check the sources of those websites. Don't just blindly listen to what a news publication says. Same for YouTube videos. Make sure that they cite their sources. If they don't, be skeptical. Um, and you can actually Google the things that they say if you think if they're not citing their sources in the descriptions, which I think is already a red flag and already dumb. Or maybe they actually like cite the papers in their YouTube video. They'll show you the title, authors, and all the stuff of the paper in the YouTube video. It'll be like a screenshot or something. Uh, then you know maybe you can just you can just Google the title of the paper and go look at it if you want to. But uh, you know here's a list of reliable YouTube channels: uh, Kurtz Gazette in a nutshell, what I've learned, the SciShow channels. There's a few of them. Crash course aperture is pretty good if you're into like random information that's just fun uh, and vsauce is iconic and ted talks are usually great too so those are some reliable youtube channels uh, make sure that whenever someone says something uh, just because it sounds cool or it's what you want to hear go google it and find the research on what it, they said make sure that's right make sure it's true find more than one source and yeah, that's all. You're going to have to figure out the balance between what you claim as truth and what you're skeptical about. It really is a hard balance and I can't tell you how to do it. But other than that, Misery Lake has come out by Black Bear. It's six songs. Every song, I I love it. I think it's really good. Uh, I, you know, I miss R&B Bear for sure, but this pop bear is good. I think that Alone in a Room Full of People uh, and Bad Day, which is the first song and the last song, respectively. Those are both, like, probably my two favorites on the FN EP. It's really, really, really good. Uh, also, I finished Fate Grand Order, which was awesome. The anime was good in that the art was nice. Ishtar was absolutely nice. And the story was good. But the thing is, Fate Grand Order is derived from a game. Like, that's the source material. And the anime is based on the seventh arc in the game. But since I didn't play the game, there's a lot of story and character building that I didn't get to experience. So it was kind of awkward getting to know these characters because the anime kind of expected you to know all of them already. Um, I'm going to round the Fate series out uh, in probably... 
today or tomorrow, I have, uh, I'm just watching Lord El Melo's Two's Case File, which is like a spin-off series that's just loosely related to the Fate series. But uh, it's really interesting so far, so that's going to be fun. After that, I'm going to rewatch Your Lie in April and then move on to some other anime, which will be fun and great. School might be open at that point, but anime will be my coping mechanism. Very exciting. Not really. Uh, I want to make an entire episode on anime. That would be so sick. Uh, I don't think anyone will listen to that, though. Uh, but maybe one day I'll fold and I'll just do it. Maybe if I have a billion people that just want to hear me talk about nothing, I'll talk about anime for 50 minutes or 50 hours. Who knows? Um, but that's all for this episode, though. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're a research god now. Good luck in your career. I'll talk at you next week. Peace.